friends, good morning. I'd like to start with a question. How do you go with listening? Now, by listening, I, of course, mean uh, the skill that all men are amazing at, uh, the ability to just hear what a person has to say, uh, process it before formulating our own thoughts, and certainly before jumping to our own conclusions. Wives, girlfriends, would you say that your husband or boyfriend is a good listener? I see a few uh, couples sitting away from each other. Very smart move. Uh, whenever I'm involved in conversation, uh, I try my best to be listening bef uh, first before I say or even think too much. Uh, otherwise, I run the risk of misunderstanding what a person says, uh, which is something I did a lot in the past. And this is something I'm constantly trying to grow stronger in. Uh, sometimes I also try my best to clarify uh, whether I'm on the right track before continuing. Uh, you probably know what I mean. So imagine you're talking to your friend, they say something, and you think you know what they're saying. Uh, only until you've misunderstood what they mean, uh, you've caused some tears and given them some tissues, that then you realize, oh, that's what they mean. Listening is, is just something really important for us to do. Uh, it helps us to process the information that's given to us and helps us make sure we're on the right track. But sometimes, even after we've listened, we can still be confused over what we've heard. And today's parable is an example in just that. And Jesus tells us to listen first, to listen to the king before he speaks out this short story one which frankly leaves uh, people kind of confused. Uh, now today we're going to focus mainly on verses 1 to 20. Unfortunately, there isn't enough time to cover uh, verses 21 to 34, uh, so please read them in your own time. Now let's start by having a look at what's uh, going on in this scene, because there's a lot of really great detail, and also hopefully uh, we can follow it better. But we start by the sea with Jesus. There's a really, really large crowd, and he's on a boat, whilst everyone was sitting on land. And Jesus starts really emphatically in verse 3. Listen. And in the Greek, for emphasis, it also has behold. Kind of strange word to us, isn't it? We don't really use behold today. Uh, I certainly haven't heard anyone use it around me. But I'm imagining, if I did hear it, behold, I'd know that something important is about to follow it's actually about this person, this sower. Uh, Jesus wants us to hear something. It's really important for us to listen in. The crowd's got to listen in, but what we hear is, it's a little bit confusing. It's a story about a farmer throwing out some seeds. And as we look through, we see him just throw out the seed without too much concern over where it goes. And clearly this farmer just wants the seed to go to many different places. And so we kind of see that there's a good outcome, the good soil, but then there are bad outcomes, the seeds that don't land on the good soil. Now, obviously, there's some kind of difference between these grounds, but the only thing that changes in this story is the ground, isn't it? The sower is the same. The seed is the same. 
but the ground changes. More on this later. And even though it seems like a, a random story, Jesus thinks it's really important for people to hear this message because of what Jesus says in verse 9. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Basically, if you can listen in, listen in. And verse 10 shows that there are some people who have listened in, but they're a little bit confused. So they go to Jesus and ask him, what did you mean by all of that? Uh, we listened in, but we're confused still. Could you, could you explain it to us? It's a fair question because actually the story is not entirely clear. So what does Jesus even mean in this parable? What's he getting at? Why does Jesus actually speak in parables? Why is it important for you and I to pay attention to, frankly, a rather difficult to understand parable? Well, he tells us in verse 11 to 12. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So Jesus kind of separates people into two groups, doesn't he? There is the kingdom of God, and there are those outside of it. Those within God's kingdom, as verse 11 says, uh, gets its secret given to them. But those outside, they don't really get given the same treatment. It sounds kind of bad, and it's so that this group, as verse 12 tells us, will be ever seeing and hearing, but they'll never perceive or understand. Otherwise, they might be forgiven. It's like the crowd, they, they don't believe, so therefore they don't listen. And that's what separates the inside from the outside. Those that desire to hear or find out more are on the inside of God's kingdom. Basically, whoever is in God's kingdom knows the secret about it. But the secret isn't really given to those that aren't in it. Friends, the parables are actually kind of meant to be confusing. Normally, we think parables are meant to be illustrations that make certain points easier to understand. But that's not the case. They are meant to be a bit difficult. So you have to ask to investigate them. Uh, so think of it this way. Imagine parables to be like automatic doors. Uh, the doors actually don't do anything until you get close to them. Much the same, parables don't do anything from afar. They don't do anything if you don't try to understand them. But if you draw near to them, they open up. So Jesus, when he was saying, listen, it's going to end up separating people into the two groups I mentioned earlier before. It's basically what we saw in chapter 3, where the Pharisees and Jesus' family are saying things against him. This tells us why some people are responding to Jesus the way they are. Some aren't part of the kingdom because they aren't listening to God's word. They've hardened their hearts. But that's the thing about parables. They confirm unbelievers in their unbelief. 
they also give an opportunity to genuinely interested hearers the chance to hear more. These are the ones who will be part of God's kingdom because they've listened to God's word. It's because if you genuinely want to find out more, you'll go ahead and find out more. So there are two responses. Firstly, you either either just give up, you think it's not worth your time looking into it more, or secondly, you end up confused, uh, but you want to know more. Uh, So this was like when I was in uh, grade 10, Japanese. Uh, We were learning about grammar, about uh, transitive and intransitive verbs. As soon as I heard those terms, I think to myself, oh, grammar. So I just switched off. I just did not care about grammar. I didn't study much of it at all. So the idea stayed confusing to me. Whereas there were other difficult concepts, such as uh, politer and casual forms of speaking, I was also confused by them, but I was interested in it. So I read into it, and surprise, surprise, I did far better in my exams when it came to these. It's basically the same thing here. If people have no interest in finding out more about Jesus' words, like how I was with Japanese grammar, they won't bother finding out more. But if they do have interest in finding out, they'll actually do it. If Jesus' words are a bit confusing, but you're interested in finding out more, then chances are you'll actually look into it. And actually, Jesus gives us a really good reason to do this. He shows us in verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So, if we don't understand this parable, every other parable is meant to go straight over our heads. But thankfully, Jesus explains it to us in verses 14 to 19. We find out that the seed is the word. And as we saw earlier, the farmer was quite liberal with how he threw out seeds onto the ground. He didn't really mind where the seeds ended up. That wasn't what concerned him. He was just interested in having the word go out. But here's where the rubber hits the road. There are three soils that get talked about. The three grounds are basically three ways in which people end up rejecting Jesus. Again, there's the path, the rocky ground, and then the thorns. As Jesus tells us here, when the seed lands on the path, Satan takes it away. Now, in the Bible, there's an interaction between our responsibility, Satan's temptation, and God's action. One thing that's very clear is that we're responsible for our own actions. And something interesting on this is the way in which the crowd reacts. When they hear Jesus' words, what happens? They leave. They have been taken away by the cute little birdies, which are Satan. And have a look at the middle of verse 15. Uh, As soon as someone hears it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. It means they haven't had time for the word to grow in their life. They hear it, and then their heart doesn't warm to it. 
They don't keep going with it. Uh, you may know some people like this. They heard God's word, they heard the gospel, and there's no impact for them. The next seed, verses 16 to 17. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So there are other seeds sown on rocky places, as in the word is heard and they receive it with joy. Awesome. But unfortunately, there's not much soil. So it pops up from the ground and the sun burns it. The person here has received the word, but they end up losing their way because, it's brought, because God's word has brought them hardship because of trouble or persecution due to being a Christian. This would be a person that's heard the gospel. They're really happy and excited to hear this news. So they become a Christian, but as soon as it gets hard because of it, the attractiveness dries up, and they decide to give up on Christianity. This has happened to a couple of friends of mine, actually. Uh, Christians who love their church, but they gave up on Jesus because they kept getting mocked for their beliefs. I know dealing with hardship is difficult. No one likes difficulty. Social rejection is a hard, hard reality Christians may have to face. I've had friends disown me because I'm a Christian. Has this happened to you? It's hard, isn't it? This is a real difficulty. But we'll see later that this isn't the only option. There's hope. The third soil, verses 18 to 19, the seeds that get sown among thorns, they actually sprout some kind of plant, as verse 7 tells us. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. It looks promising at the start, but again, it doesn't last. Much like a seed, the word needs time. It needs care and help to grow in a person and for the person to understand it better. In the meantime, there are things we must be careful of, things which might overtake the word. Friends, verses 18 to 19 are a cautionary notice for us. Be mindful of other things in this world which will take the place of God's word in your life. Be careful of things which will make you not want to repent. Perhaps money, perhaps romance are thorns, worries in your life. These are things which can dominate our thoughts, our time, and our hearts. And this is something I've struggled with 
too over my life. Uh, I've been tempted by women, material goods, money. Temptation is something we all have to face. You may recently have thought, gee, that, that phone looks nice. I think I could spare a few hundred dollars. Or maybe you thought, if I study hard, I'll get good grades, a good job, and then I'll have a good life after that. Now, as you may know, I work at the uh, University of Queensland with evangelical students. And if I'm to be honest, university is a place that shows how careful we need to be when we're talking about our attitude toward God's word. I've only been at UQ for six months, and I've seen numerous people and things which shows that this parable points out an extremely relevant truth. There are people who have heard God's word once and haven't let it take root. There are people who ridicule Christians for their beliefs. University is a place that's getting more and more secular. And the attitude towards religion is getting increasingly more hostile. And the general focus of being at university, you want a great career? Well, come to UQ and study hard. A while back on UQ's website, there was a picture of a person with a really great big smile, dressed very trendy, with a MacBook, and the words, for me, it all started at UQ. Now let me say this, study, work, material things, they aren't inherently evil. Work is good, we're meant to work. And we need to provide for each other and live. So we need money for that. But this parable warns us and asks us to reflect. Are we putting something before God and his word? Make sure you take heed of Jesus' encouragement throughout this passage. Listen to God's word and let it take root in your life. Because letting God's word take root in our lives results in what we see in verse 20. And this is the hope I mentioned earlier. Let me read it. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60 some a hundred times what was sown. So essentially the seed that ends up falling on the good soil will produce a crop. A lot of the crop. This soil hears the word and it accepts the word. It acknowledges the word. It becomes important to the person hearing it and takes root in that person's life. Now, I don't know much about agriculture, but one seed producing uh, 30, 60, and even 100 times what was sown, that's very impressive. Uh, apparently, even a yield of 5 to 10 times more what was sown, that's already considered a rather solid return. So let's pretend you could invest $10 into the stock market. Let's pretend. And that, te that $10 lands you $300, $600, $1,000. That's a good return, isn't it? So what we see here is that 
there's a profession of faith in God and that results in a very fruitful person within God's kingdom. So basically a heart that has softened, toward, has softened itself toward God plus God's word equals fruitfulness. Remember, the seed itself, the word, hasn't changed. It stayed the same. But the ground has been different each time. Depending on the type of ground, uh, that determines what happens to the seed and whether it produces a crop. Sorry, I've uh, turned off my tablet. Depending on someone, how someone listens and responds to the word, that determines how they end up living in relation to God's kingdom. Because God's word is the only way that leads to fruit. Uh, now by fruit, I mean righteous living. The picture that the Bible paints of fruit is about living under God's rule. Uh, later on in the Gospels, we'll see Jesus rebuke the Pharisees for their unfruitfulness because they live in a way that was against God. Their heart was far from God. They didn't respond rightly to the word. But unlike the Pharisees, people that listen to God's word, they let it take hold in their life. They become fruitful by bringing the word to others, sharing the good news and living God's way. Because God's word is what brings lasting change. It's what brings fruit in a person's life. So we need to ask questions to figure out if we're in the good soil and we're letting God's word take root in our lives. How do you view God's word? Is temptation replacing God's word and somehow reducing its significance? Is it treasured or is it just another book to read? God's word is precious because he didn't have to give it to us at all. He didn't have to give us his word and make salvation a possibility at all. How do you view the words in the Bible? Are they life-changing or are they just intellectually stimulating? I'm not saying that they shouldn't be. It's great if they are and they make you ask questions. But I'm saying if they're only intellectually stimulating and not life-changing, it would be good to find out why. Because truly listening to God's word does call for a response to change the way we live. Also, what are you doing with God's word? What have you done with Sunday's sermon? Are you letting it take root in your life and letting it change you to become more like Jesus? Has the sermon just become an inevitable part of the Sunday service that you need to sit through? Are you turning up to Sunday service far too tired to actually benefit from the sermon? 
Are you on your phone during the sermon being distracted? It's important that our church sermons, if, if done reasonably, play a significant time for us. Because if we're viewing God's Word as life-giving and has eternal significance, we want to listen in because it's another opportunity to hear God's Word. Or maybe there's hardship in your life right now. Are you putting riches, uh, work, grades, romance, and the like, and the like before, behind uh, God's Word? Or are you just living like everyone else and putting those first? Maybe your social life is suffering a bit because you've made sacrifices so you can get to church. Let me say to you that it's always worth spending time with our Lord, with each other in the Word. It nourishes us. Or maybe your friends think Christianity is only for those who blindly accept things without much thought. And they might think you're one of them. But keep learning about God's Word and think things through. Ask questions. Because a thought-out faith is a healthy faith. Are you ripping those weeds of temptation and persecution which might take over God's Word in your life? God's Word plays a prominent part in a Christian's life because it's actually the primary way God communicates to us. So, if we end up allowing other things to choke the Word out of our life, we essentially are allowing God's way of communication to be choked out from our life. Now, I'd like to finish by uh, narrowing the focus of my question. How do you go with listening to God's Word? Are you listening to the King, Jesus? As, he has point, as He's pointed out to us today, the first step is for people to just listen. And seemingly, people will just naturally make a decision after they've listened. Some will be receptive and let it uh, grow in their lives, while others just won't be receptive. And Jesus has given us a good reason to listen to God's Word. Yeah, it is God's Word, but another good reason to listen is how you respond matters. A person's response to God's Word can either end up with having the Word just not take root at all, or it might end up with a person being a Christian for a short time and give up on their faith because of hardship or temptation. But those that listen, accept it, and follow His Word, and they allow it to take root, and they would end up being the good soil. They're the ones who, after hearing the word, respond in faith and become a fruitful Christian. They make sure to rip out the weeds of temptation and being able to weather hardship. Friends, we've been given uh, God's word, which brings life, redemption, and leads, leads us in God's ways. He didn't have to give it to us, but he has. 
So let me encourage you the way Jesus did. Listen and respond by receiving it, by letting it take root in your life. Let me finish by prayer. Father God, thank you that in your kindness we have your word to not only hear from, but also be reminded of crucial truths that impact our relationship with you. We thank you also that your son's words here remind us to listen to your word. Father, help us to remember that how we listen determines how we respond to your word. Help us to be removing the weeds of temptation and persevere in times of hardship. We pray that our hearts may be softened to your word to help us overflow with fruit. 30, 60, or even 100 times for the sake of your glory and your kingdom. In your son's name we pray. Amen.